So glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue our study in Matthew. Last week we talked about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And I told you we were going to look at what does that really look like. Because I can say I love you, but if I talk mean to you, if I mistreat you, my words don't match my actions. Amen? We've experienced this in our marriages. We say we love our spouses, but we don't treat them as if we love them. And so the mixed message is there. We do it with our children. We do it with our coworkers. We do it with our friends. And we absolutely do it with God. God, I love you with all my heart. Just don't look when I go to this place. Right? God, I love you and I love your people, but just don't mind me while I'm mistreating this person over here because you don't understand how mean they are to me. There's so much about what God has shown us, what Christ modeled for us as he was on this earth of what love looks like that we are missing the boat in a big way. And Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandments? He simply said, love. Love God and love others. Now that's the passage in Matthew, but I'm actually going to encourage you, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of us know that that's the the love chapter, right? Well, there's some big ideas and big things in that chapter that can help us understand a little bit better. Now listen, this topic of love, I, I can't solve it in 45 minutes, I can't fix that for many of us, but what I can do is give us a taste of what Scripture reveals to us through the Spirit of helping us understand a picture, a model, a snapshot of what love really looks like. Loving God is the easy part for us, right? We come to church, we raise our hands, we sing our hymns, we sing our songs, we, we praise Him, we say we love Him, but other people, not so much. Now listen, don't leave me out on an island. I know that I'm not the only one. It is hard for us. Somebody cut you off while you're driving? You're not loving them a whole lot right then. Got the noisy kids behind you in Walmart? That's probably our family. You better be loving me, right? It's silly examples, but you, I don't have to explain this to you. You know what I'm already talking about. We play the game. We say we love God and we love others, but we don't treat him as if we love him, and we don't treat others as if we love them. And here's why. Our understanding of love is jacked up. Disney has messed us up because the Disney fairy tales of love always wins out, that's not realistic, except in the case of Christ. Because love will win out. The movies that we watch, the love stories that are not my favorite, but Sally likes them and so I try my best to watch them. Let me me just tell you why I don't. They make me cry. And I don't want to cry for a silly movie. Just to be honest. That's why I don't like them. Give me the blood and guts and watch somebody die and I'm happy. But we talk all this stuff of, well, I love people. Do you really? That's really hard for us. It's hard for us to love effectively. 
And Jesus even said, as he's talking about his own life of what he's getting ready to do, he says, greater love has no man than this. He's like, here's the biggest, most expressive example that I can tell you of how to show your love for someone else. That you lay down your life for your friends. Not your spouse or your children, that's kind of easy for us. But we're talking about our friends. I love a lot of y'all, if not all of y'all. I might not lay my life down for some of you. Now don't look at me and say, well, wait a second, you're the pastor, you should do that. I'm a human being. And I'm working through this as you're working through this. Of course I would consider it. But you see the toughness in that statement. You look at me like, well, how could you say that? You're thinking the same thing. But Jesus said, if you really want to express love, lay your life down for your friends. Now, as I think about this verse, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about physically laying his life down. But I want to take it a step further. Not that I'm trying to add anything to scripture. Stay with me. If I love my wife, I need to be willing to lay down things that I want to do that may not be conducive for our marriage. If I love Christ the way that I'm supposed to love Christ, there are things in my life that I need to lay down in order to love him effectively. Christ took it all the way to the extreme to show I'm giving up everything that I have. I am taking on the sin of the world. I'm laying down all of this good stuff and I'm taking on the nastiness for you. And he laid down his life for you and for me. And he simply says, if you want to express what love looks like, you got to be willing to lay some things down. Paul talks about it all the time. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I want to crucify myself. I want to lay down my life so that I may be like Christ, so people can see Christ in me. That's what love looks like. It's not about getting mine. It's not about doing things so I'll get something. Because that's how we view love. Love is willing to lay down your life. For a friend. Here's the big thought for today. Understanding love enhances our being and influences our doing. You think, you see, we think all the time that love is more about the doing, but love helps me understand who I am to be. When I can understand the love of God, it allows me to be who God created me to be in order that I may love effectively so that I can be and do what I'm supposed to do in the eyes of Christ. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So to be able to do and to be what I'm supposed to be and to love the way that I'm supposed to love, I've got to understand what it is first. We've got to take this knowledge that we think we know what love is because I guarantee you, if I took the time for the rest of the day and asked each one of you, what does love mean to you? We're going to come up with all different answers. Because love is developed by our baggage, by our past experiences, by how we are taught, by what was modeled, by what we see, by what we view, by what we digest. 
And Jesus says love, true love, real love, is to be willing to lay down your life. Paul goes and says it's even more than that. And he defines it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's dig in here and see what Paul helps us understand that love really is all about. You guys with me? Hope so, because I'm going to keep going. Verse 1, though I speak with the language or the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I can speak eloquently to men, whether it's in their language or not, and I can just speak to them, or I can speak in tongues, which he talks about the heavenly language here. He's like, if I can even do that and sound amazing, but I'm not loving correctly, my heart is not in the right space, my mind is not where it's supposed to be, then all that I am doing just sounds good. Doesn't mean anything. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, this guy is making the case, if you are the most well-equipped spiritual person in the world, you've got all the faith and all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all the prophecy, you've just got the total package, but have not love. I am nothing. Wow. You mean to tell me that I could be the best preacher in the world, the best leader of the church, grow this thing to a monstrosity of a, of a church, but I'm not loving correctly, then it was useless? Yes, is what he's saying. Because love is the key. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. If I sacrifice it all, if I give everything away to feed the poor, and I lay down my life, but I do it not out of love, it means nothing. I'm afraid... That great churches, great men and women all around the world are caught in that. They're too busy doing and they have forgotten how to be. And it will mean nothing. Verse 4. Love suffers long, meaning it's patient and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. In other words, it's not about its self. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. The one that jumped out for me this week and especially in the last couple of days is to behave rudely. Things don't go my way, I behave rudely. Now, I'm not obnoxious, but I might not talk to my wife. That's rude. Right, wives? Thank you. That just made me feel even worse. (laughs) But it's our tactics. That might not be your tactic. It's one that I've had to work on setting aside and not doing because it's behaving rudely. I tell her I love her, but I'm rude to her. Shame on me. Does not rejoice in iniquity, 
but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. In other words, when love is perfected within me, my rude behavior goes away. When love is perfected within me, I'm not going to be envious anymore. I can have all the knowledge in the world and still be rude. I can be the best preacher you've ever seen and still be all about me. That's not what is going on here. Paul is helping us see that it's more than what we think it is. It's not about me getting what I want. It's about giving what is right and what is true. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When maturity begins to take Over my life, I put away the things such as behaving rudely, seeking its own, provoking for evil and thinking evil. I put away those things because they're childish. I was so childish when I would shut my wife out for weeks on end. It was childish. I didn't, one, I didn't know any better. Two, I didn't know how to communicate my emotions. And three, I was just selfish. And I was rude. And then as I became To understand what love was really about, it helps me in setting aside all of those evil thoughts that I want to think toward her or the assumptions that I make about what she's thinking and why she's doing what she's doing, because that's what we do. It helps me to get past that and to set it aside and to put away those childish things and to be a little more mature. Still got a long way to go. I'm working on it. Verse 12, for we... Now, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I find that fascinating. It means as I begin to mature and as I begin to understand what love is, I will be able to look back and see where I was and my faults and what I was doing and how I was doing it. Because that's how I was known. Now I will be able to see who I really am and what I was. Now verse 13 is such a great verse. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. Faith, hope, and love. That's really what we're operating on. We operate in faith that God is going to do amazing things, that he's going to save us in the end. That's where our faith comes in. It's the hope of all the promises, of all the prophecies finally coming true, of Christ's return. We have great hope with that. And love is what matters the most in all of this. It's what gets us through. But look what it says. But the greatest of these is love. It's a point I'm getting ready to make in just a few moments. But think about this. When we are on the other side of eternity, standing there with Christ, I will no longer need faith nor hope, but love will reign supreme. It's the only one that is needed and the only one that will last. Because the others, we won't need them anymore. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. I like that. So let's talk about love. When we talk about love, we've got the agape love. I'm sure you've probably heard that before. If you've never heard that, it's uh, the Greek word for love. And there's three, four, five different versions of this. 
But the general understanding of this love in this context is this. It's a pure, willful, meaning intentional, sacrificial love. Meaning I'm going to do without what I want in order for the person to get what they want. That's intentionally desires another's highest good. That's the love we're talking about here. It's me saying, we're not going to watch the violent movie tonight. We're going to watch the love story that's going to make me cry. Again, silly example. But you put in your own example. Because I already know with 100% confidence that we all live in this space. Men and women, husbands and wives, friends, parents. This is where we are at. We struggle with this kind of love. We struggle with sacrificially putting aside what I want for the needs of other people. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It's a struggle for us. And yet Paul is saying, here's what it looks like. He sets the stage. He goes with relationship over religiosity. I love that word. Relationship over religiosity. Again, if I parade myself around my house and pump my chest out and say how great of a pastor I am, I'm such a great pastor, but lose my family because I haven't loved them, I'm awful. It's terrible. I haven't done my first responsibility. He says, you can speak in tongues. You can prophesy and have all the knowledge and all the faith. You can be unselfish with things and your body. You can be unselfish and know everything. You can be the most ideal Christian that there is. But if you do not have love, it's all empty. It's empty of a pure, willful, internal, and intentional desire for others' good. I'm glad you're a Bible scholar. I'm glad you know the Bible stories inside and out. I'm glad that you can quote books of scripture. But if you don't even know how to love your wife or your children or your neighbor, it means squat. Those things work in conjunction. They are important to be together. I want to be a Bible scholar. I want to know, but I want to make sure that I'm loving correctly as well. I can have all the knowledge, but if it's not seeping into who I am and changing me for the better and to who Christ wants me to be, then it's useless, pointless. If I'm going to love the way that I'm supposed to love, if I'm going to put relationships as a priority for me, love has to be the key to all of it. Love is not about me. When we look at those first few things that he talks about, he says, it's not envious. Envious just means I want what you want, or I want what you got, rather. Some of you all drive the Tacomas. I could be envious, but I like my car. I like my mom van. Some of you have a great golf game. I could be envious. For some of you, maybe it's they have money that they can go shop. Or maybe they have a house that you've always wanted with a pool in the backyard. Or maybe this, or maybe, put whatever you want in there. That's not loving. Because it's about you. Does not parade itself. This one always cracks me up with believers. You can tell the people who are proud of the knowledge they have of Jesus. And proud in the wrong sense, by the way. 
It's the way they carry themselves. It's the way they speak to other people. It's almost as if they're talking down to you because they, they, they've got it figured out. They're not parading itself. They're not puffed up. They don't seek their own. That's not love. By the way, this also works in our marriages. Seeking my own means I want what I want and I don't care about her needs. As long as I'm getting mine, we're good. (laughs) What? That is the most jacked up, worldly view of what love is that you can't find anywhere else. That should not be known in Christian marriages. It should be what Paul teaches us in Philippians. To put the other's needs in front of our own. And by the way, that's not just about our marriages. That's about any relationship. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. If I'm going to love my friends as myself. If I'm going to love my kids as myself. Then it can't be about me. It must be about them. And here's the cool thing about this. In Sally and I's marriage, which by the way, she and I are good with us talking, me talking about this all the time, so don't think that we go home and fight about it or like, we knew getting into this, this is how it works, so just take a breath. I don't remember what I was going to say now. Now, if I'm concentrating solely on her needs... As a Christian man, knowing that this is what God has called me to do, to love her, I put my needs aside and I focus on her needs. Meaning, I help with the dishes, which I actually enjoy doing. I will make the bed, which I don't like doing. I will scrub a toilet on occasion. (laughs) But when I know that she's not feeling up to it or she's not feeling, I will pitch in. Because I want her to know that I love her. It's not in hopes that something else will happen later. Stay with me. Because that's how we operate. If I do this, I'll get this. I do it because I love her. And I want to help her. I want to support her. I want to meet her needs. And the cool thing is, if I'm doing that and she's focusing on my needs, then whose needs are not getting met? Nobody's. Our needs are getting met. But where it breaks down is we get seeking our own and we forget about meeting the other's needs and we solely focus on ours. That's not love. That's not love. By the way, that works in your spiritual walk with God as well. God, I'm going to do this as long as you'll get me this. God, if you'll do this and I'll do this. No, no, no. That's not how it works. The only thing that God has promised to us is eternal life by placing our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing else. Now, there are other great promises that may come, may not come. The only thing we are guaranteed is eternal life and the gift of the Spirit of God. And yet we play the game that God owes us. Something as if we are something special that we have done him a favor by giving our life to him. Without him, we're nothing. I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, that sounds very hurtful. That please understand where I'm coming from. If we're talking about the spiritual life without him, I am nothing. I need him. I want more of him. We just sang about that. I don't want to seek my own because I'm good at that. 
I want to seek more of him. Second thing that he talks about is love is how I treat others. It's how I treat others. I want to be kind. Isn't that so hard? Thank you. Come on now. That's difficult for us. It's hard. You have a bad day and you go to the store. Woe to the checkout person. Or woe to the person, the server that's serving you that's maybe a little slow or a little backed up or got a little too much going on. And boy, you're just going to unleash. How about just be kind? Love. Just love them. You have no idea what their story is. And you have an opportunity of a lifetime to show the love of God to them. Don't behave rudely to them. In fact, let me, let me just say this. Stop behaving rudely to anybody. How about that? We want people to come to our church. Amen? We want people to come to Christ. We want people to see Christ living in us and the love of Jesus pouring out of us. That can't happen when we're behaving rudely. It won't work. It won't ever happen. And so Paul says, hey, if you want to do this right, don't, don't behave rudely. And it's not provoked. Man, some of us are on edge all the time just waiting to explode. Some of us need to take a lot of steps back off the edge and just take a breath. Recognize that God's mercies are new every morning, that he is a faithful and great God, that we can just take a step back and know that tomorrow's a new day. And it's really not that bad. Here's the third thing. Paul talks about love is maturity. Love is maturity. As we mature, we're able to love more. And the more that we love, the more mature we become. He says it thinks no evil. Now when we think evil, we think murder. We think thievery. Evil is anything that's not good. So when I want someone to not succeed, that could be considered thinking evil. Or I rejoice that they failed. Rejoice in iniquity. That could be considered equal, not, uh, evil, not loving. You see, there, there's no way to escape this idea of, well, I can develop love how I want to develop love. I can kind of define it how I want to. It's already been defined. And it's all of these things. It's rejoicing in truth. How many of us rejoice truly in truth? When truth comes out, how much do we rejoice? But when somebody fails, boy howdy, we are on Facebook and whatever other social media you want to be on and you are passing it quick as lightning. That's not love. And you know what's sad? The saddest thing for me is it's most effective in the church. And we crush people and we run them out of here for them to never come back because of our thinking rudely or thinking evil or whatever we want to call it. We didn't love them the way that Christ would have loved them. I go back to the lady caught in adultery. He had every moment right there to just lay into her. What did he do? He bent down and dug in the dirt. When everybody else left, he looked at her and said, hey, where's all your accusers at? They're gone. Great. I'm not accusing you either. Just stop doing what you're doing. See ya. 
Why, why can't we do that? That's not rejoicing in iniquity, but celebrating the truth. Stop sinning. That's all we got to say. It's not helping you out. Let's just not do that. Let's do something different. That's love. It bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That, to me, is probably the hardest four things to think about. I'm just going to bear all of this. I'm just going to carry it. Is that not hard? When people bring tough stuff to you, things that they know is going to hurt your feelings or set you off, but they bring it to you anyway, if we truly are loving, then we should endure that and bear that and work through that. It's those hard conversations that you hear me say that I'm going to have with you if we need to have it. Why? Because I want to bear that with you. I want to endure the struggle to get to where we need to be because I have great hope that through this struggle, through this hard conversation, God can be glorified and love can be reestablished and our relationship can be all that it can be. Why? Because I absolutely believe God is in the business of doing that. But I can't do that just by myself. Paul is encouraging all of us. Jesus tells us, hey, don't just do this with me, but do this with your friends, your neighbors. Love one another. So therefore, now that we can kind of understand vaguely a, a little bit of what love is all about, then we have a job and a responsibility to do. Because we're not doing a really good job of it. It's easy for us to love those that we already love. But we've got to figure out how to love those that may not be as lovable as we want them to be. And then he says, love will not fail. It will not fail. Remember the fruit of the Spirit where he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Remember the last part of that? He says, against such is what? There's no law. There's no law against those things. I kind of put that in here. Love will never fail. There are lots of things that are going to fail. He even lists them. There's a lot of things that are just going to go away. Love will never go away. In fact, again, faith and hope will cease to exist once we get there because we will no longer need them. Our faith has been fulfilled. Our hope has been satisfied. But love will continue as we exist in heaven together, bringing glory and honor to the great God and King that has saved us through all this stuff. Love will not fail. It's going to stay all the way to the very end. It remains throughout eternity. Isn't that exciting? Okay, good. All three of you. Fantastic. Again, Jesus says, talked about this last week, by this, by what? Love. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Could be a reason why your coworkers or your neighbors don't know that you are a follower of God. Because they watch how you treat your boss, how you treat them, how you treat your coworkers, how you react, how you plot, how you rejoice when things go wrong for other people. Jesus did not say, by this all will know that you are my disciples by how you preach the gospel. By how you quote scripture, by how you sing so well how you attend church every day. What did he say? Say it with me. By how you love 
one another. You can hear all the greatest sermons in the world. But if you don't have love in your heart for other people, it's not going to do you any good. You can know all the passages of scripture, but if it is not in your heart driving you to love other people, it's not going to help you. Jesus says, if you want people to truly know that you love me, figure it out and start loving one another. Because greater love has no man than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. Not asking you to go give your lives for your friends, to go put your life on the line for them. But here is what I believe he's asking us to do. Those things that we want above other people, I think he's calling us, I believe he's calling us to lay those things down that they may experience the love of God through you by how you treat them. Listen, I know this is hard. It's not fun. It's changing our mindset of how we want to live. But if what we sang just a few moments ago of wanting more of him, wanting to know him more, wanting more of his glory and his power and his love, (laughs) it's going to require you and me to lay down certain areas of our life for our friends. It may require us stepping away from some things that we're comfortable with that we've always partaken in, but goes against what Paul shares with us in 1 Corinthians. It may require us to make some hard decisions and things that we've always done, but we're realizing now it's not conducive for sharing the love of God. And so I've got to change this in order to share the love of God that I may love effectively. Understanding love enhances your being. When we can understand what a true agape love, sacrificial love looks like, it makes you a better person. And when that makes you a better person, when you can understand what it means to truly love the way that God wants us to love, then you are able to do what he's called you to do, of putting others' needs in front of your own, because we're not good at that. But we've got to understand it first. To live like Jesus, you kind of have to understand how he lives, right? If I want to be a good golfer, I've got to study and play and practice It's not rocket science, people. You can't show up on a Sunday morning, get your 30 minutes worth of sermon and your 15, 20 minutes worth of singing and expect God just to miraculously change your life if you do nothing else with it. This is an everyday journey. It's a, it's a practice. It's a mental exercise every day to willingly submit my life to him that I may love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. We've got to understand what that looks like and the only way to do that is you've got to dive in. Here's some questions for you as the praise team comes. Number one, do we truly understand love? My prayer this morning is that hopefully this has challenged things that you have been doing, thinking that you're showing love, and God has revealed to you that, no, you're a little off. You missed the mark a little bit, or a lot bit. And maybe this morning it's our time to be able to come to him and say, okay, God, Here are the areas that you brought to mind while I was listening to Pastor Allen. Help me to work on these things. And maybe there's nothing coming to mind. That doesn't mean you're out of the woodshed. It may just mean you're not listening yet. 
because we all struggle with this. Here's the second question. Are we operating in the emotional love, that gussiness stuff? You know that, oh, I'm so in love with her. That one? Because that's just superficial. It's good. It's fun. But it's not meaningful. That will pass away. Or are you operating in God's love? The one that says, hey, be willing to lay down your life for your friend. And then lastly, what areas of 1 Corinthians 13 do we need to improve? Maybe this week, husbands and wives, maybe you should go back and read through 1 Corinthians 13 this week. Have honest conversations with each other. I realize that that may uh, increase my schedule counseling load. But it might remedy some issues that you've been having for a very long time. If I can't be honest with my wife and she can't be honest with me, then what are we doing? If I want to love her, I got to be willing to hear the hard stuff and change the things in order to love her effectively. So where is it? What's your issue today? Can I encourage you to bring it to him? We have a God who stands with his arms open wide with a smile on his face, with zero judgment, saying, hey, come talk to me. I want to help you. I'm right here. I've got the answers. I can help you. I know what it is. I just want to walk with you, but you got to come to me. And the cool thing is, if I will just take a step to him, he will take a step towards me. I've always loved that. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. He cuts the work in half for me. But you got to be willing to step. He's already invited you. The invitation is always there. It's always open. The question is, are you going to accept it and take it? Father God, I love you. I praise you. Thank you for your word. God, love is such that weird, sticky thing that we talk about. And we all feel like we have a a handle on it. But Lord, it's so hard for us. We are such selfish people. I just ask that you continue to work in hearts. Draw us closer to you that we may see where we are lacking and celebrate the areas that we're doing well. God, give us vision. Help us to see, help us to know, and the courage to do something about it. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you do. Continue, God, moving in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. To Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Fill 
kind of tricked into what love was. I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I thought it was something that it wasn't. And until we experienced Jesus and the love of Jesus, man, it is so sweet. It is so caring, so gentle. It never fails. And then you're like, man, oh man, I got some work to do. And I hope that you're feeling that today, that you know you can count on the love of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you where this started. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and then to love others like yourself. In order to do that, we need to relearn how to love. In the Bible, it talks about retraining our brain, transforming our minds, creating a pure heart. It's all this dying to self and becoming something new. The reason why we need to do this is because our sinful selves get in the way of experiencing this love that Pastor Allen just talked about. We can't experience this love in our old skin. We need to leave that behind so that we can be here in Jesus' love, experiencing the sweetness of it so that we can allow others to experience that through us. I want to love my wife well. I want to love my kids well. I want to love you well. I can't do that in my old skin and my old self. I need to let that go. You know what I love about this church? I feel so loved when I walk in these doors that I'm around you guys. I do. I get hugs and handshakes and high fives and sometimes winks. This is where we can experience the love of Jesus and should experience the love of Jesus. And then we have to bottle that up and take it out there so that others can experience what we experience here. Don't leave it here. That's not what God calls us to do. We ask that you stay connected with us. 
we want you to continue not just on Sundays or Wednesdays. We got so much stuff going on over the next few months where you can come and experience this love and get to joy, experience joy that you've never experienced. Come to these events so that we can love on each other. Invite people so that they can see the love. We have some new families here today. Go introduce yourself and say, I love you because Jesus calls me to love you. It's awesome. We got some cool things going on. We got membership classes going on today, uh, next week after church. We got baby dedication. We got baptisms. We want you guys to come be a part of this. Come see what it's like to be a part of a church family. It's amazing. Ask questions. We have some other events going on. We got a comedian coming next week. We got laugh all night. This is an opportunity for you to feel joy. How many people love to laugh? That's one great thing I love about Pastor Allen. I laugh at him all the time. (laughs) And he definitely laughs at me. And Pastor Willie, I'm not even going to go there. Come laugh with us next Sunday night. Come enjoy the company of fellow believers. We got Johnny Diaz coming in May. Johnny Diaz is this great Christian artist where you can experience the love of Jesus again and supporting mission trips for our kids. Guys, listen. In order to get this love, you gotta be with Jesus. You gotta go seek him so that you can be the dad that he calls you to be. So you can be the husband and the wife that he calls you to be. Let's do it. Let's get dirty. Let's do the hard work. You guys with me? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll turn it back over to the praise team. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are awesome. I am so grateful that you love me because I am a hot mess. And I know that every single one of us can say that. We are just messes, God, and we need your love. So I pray that each one of us here does a better job at leaning on you to learn what this love is so that we can love better. God, I love you. I really do. I am trying so hard to love you better. Help me. I love you so much, God. In your great name we pray. Amen. I surrender.